Hi, this is Connor from Fireside Church. Thank you for listening to Fireside Church messages. If you want to learn more about our church or what we're doing during this time to stay connected, visit our website, firesidechurch.org. Enjoy the message. Hey, good morning, Fireside. Or, or good evening, afternoon, whenever you're listening to this, I'm just so glad that you are tuning in. And if you're on this morning, um, I am so excited that you're on our new platform. You found us. Um, we are on a different platform, and there's a chat capability. And if you just write in the chat, it'll ask what your name is, and um, you can write your own name. Or if you want to be anonymous, you can write something else. But it's a way for us to interact. We have prayer requests, all that. So we're really excited about that. And if you uh, haven't guessed it, I am not <laughs> in Massachusetts. I'm not at my home. I'm actually at my grandmother's home, uh, my 95-year-old grandmother up in down east Maine, about 30 miles inland from Acadia National Park. And it is beautiful up here. Uh, my mom and my grandmother have been quarantined up here, and we haven't seen them for over seven months. And so we had a little bit of a break in Ellie's treatment as we wait for her platelets to increase. Um, so we just thought, hey, let's rent an RV. And we did. Let me show you. We rented an RV. Um, the day before we left and and never driven in an RV, we just thought, let's have an experience. We've been in the hospital for about two months this summer. We haven't done anything. So let's do it. So this thing is 38 feet long. My goodness. It has two full bath, full bath. My house only has one and a half full bathrooms. This thing is 38 feet. My house is only 40 feet long. This thing is bigger than our house and the girls got bunk beds and all that. So it is an adventure to say the least. So that's where we are. So uh, Kate is on the paddle boat with Blake. Drew sleeping in the RV. The girls are out getting cheesecake with their um, aunt, my sister, Cindy, and um, so here we are, but I'm excited. I'm excited to preach from here. Um, I, I don't have all the tools that I usually have to prepare a sermon, but I've been meditating on this for, for like a couple of weeks. So I have my Bible, I have a computer, and, and that's really all you need. And so last night I was sitting by this lake and it was just uh, flat as all get out, beautiful. And it was reflecting the stars, no moon, and the stars were just amazing. And the Big Dipper was right over here, right over the lake. And it was almost like it was dipping into the lake. And what a beautiful place to just hear and be in the presence of the Lord. And so as I was meditating, like, what is God's word for our church? And um, I take this seriously, preaching, and uh, I was praying about it, and I just felt like I didn't want to force anything. And so I just waited and waited and waited. And, and, I, and I felt like God was saying Nehemiah. And then a week later, I was like, ah, it's not Nehemiah. But then in two of my daily readings, it was in Nehemiah. And I was listening to a podcast on Nehemiah. And then just actually the other day, my mom is reading a study in Nehemiah and was going to suggest that as a good sermon series because we are in a place similar to where Nehemiah was coming back to a city that was broken that needed to be rebuilt. So I felt like this is what God wants for the next three series. We're going to be talking about Nehemiah's story who was sent back into Jerusalem after exile to rebuild the walls. And so we are going to title this series Rebuild. And we are looking at a world that is in destruction, a world that is in need of being rebuilt. And so I'm really excited about this, but I want to pray for us as we dive into this. Lord, wherever we are at, whatever home, car, on a walk, wherever we're listening to this, Lord, just 
let us, our ears, be open to your word. Lord, we want to hear you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I want to give you a little bit of a background before we jump in. Israel are God's people. They had their own country, finally have their own country. And uh, some kings follow God, some don't. And eventually people just strayed away from the Lord. And the Lord's like, all right, if you don't want me in your life, I'm out of here. And Babylon comes and God's not there to protect them. And God actually sends them as like a disciplinary action. And Babylon comes and their war tactic was to take um, those that they defeated and transport them, deport them to their own country or other countries so they couldn't regroup and revolt. And so many of them went to an exile to Babylon. And they're there for many, many years. And finally, the Persians came and they defeat Babylon. And it's the Persians that allow some of the Israelites to go back, but under their rule and their restrictions. And the first wave is uh, Ezra. The prophet Ezra comes, and the first thing that they do is they rebuild the temple. This is God's dwelling place. And they rebuild the temple. And as they're rebuilding the temple where the presence of God they hoped would come back to, these, the younger generation comes and they say, hey, we want to help. And they, they refuse their help. The people of the building, the older generation, is like, you don't know what it looks like. You don't know what you are not equipped to do this. And they don't allow them. And I feel like so many times this is a struggle with church where the younger generation comes and is like, what if we did it like this? What if we do that? And, and some of us old fogies, I'm 40 now and I'm feeling it. I say, well, you don't know church. That was wrong. We need to open our eyes to the younger generation and say, lean into like, all right, you know, what is church? It's a group of people who are loving Jesus that are gathered together. How do we do that better? And they build the temple and they start mourning for those who had seen the old temple that Solomon built in all its splendor. They start mourning and like, this is not the temple that we're used to, that we've seen. And they start mourning. And I think the word of the Lord comes from Isaiah 43, and I, and I love this chapter, and we're going to dive into it at the end. But he says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams and wastes, and I am doing God is in the business of doing new things. God is the ultimate builder and creator. And so as everything seems like it is being deconstructed, know that God needs to deconstruct in order to construct. And I feel like that's what God is doing right now. He's doing a new thing. Maybe it's a new way of how church was. Maybe it's a new way of your faith. And we're not reliant on buildings anymore and some of the programs that we had. And we have to go back to what is it what is church? What does that look like? It's a new thing. And we're forced to do this. I mean, God's in control. God's not, you know, the church is God's bride. He's not going to abandon his bride. He's not going to abandon you, the people who are the church. But doesn't it feel like we are in a place of deconstruction? You know, it doesn't take long to go on your phone and you see, you know, the most hurricanes that we've almost ever experienced in the season, you know, that one after another, Louisiana getting hit. My sister, my little sister lives out in California near San Francisco, and she's sending me pictures of just this, you know, it's noon and it's just like orange sky with all the fires and the most fires I've ever seen in California. Well, I mean, 
you don't have to go far to see COVID-19. You know, people working at home, people are losing jobs, uh, the economy just tanking. Now you look at the elections coming up and what a mess that is, no matter what political side you are on. I think we can all agree that it's not an ideal situation, that it's kind of crazy out there in the, in the political world. It's just a mess. It feels like it's a deconstruction of life as we know it. And so what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? I think the first thing is to matter what is being deconstructed and what does God want us to construct. And I want to talk about God's kingdom. And I want to introduce you to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah wasn't a priest. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a prophet. He was actually a government official. He was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And the cupbearer, you had a high standing. They served the king. He was Jewish. He was an Israelite. And so he hears that the walls in Jerusalem have been broken. And that God's city, Jerusalem, is in a complete state of utter, utter brokenness. And when he finds this out, he just mourns and he just loses it. And he goes to God and the first thing that he does, the first thing that he does is he prays. Is he prays. Because I feel like oftentimes, you know, we need to go to the Lord because we're seeing everything in deconstruction and we can get overwhelmed. And we want to just go in and we want to fix it. We want to rebuke. But I think sometimes we need to be still and pray. And sometimes these things happen fast. I don't know if you've ever seen the show Fixer Upper. But Fixer Upper, you know, Chip uh, uh, Gaines, his favorite day is Demo Day. Demo Day. It's one day. But then the construction takes months sometimes. I know the TV makes it all take 45 minutes to make it a, an episode. But it takes months. And so sometimes God is even though he is the master builder, he's also the master demolition man that sometimes he will demolish in order to reconstruct because he's doing a new thing. And when we have that perception, I think it can change everything. Say, God, why are you de deconstructing this? Why have you sent us here? Why are you changing my life around upside down? And maybe you guys like, I am demoing you to construct you into who I want and made you to be for a purpose. I am doing a new thing. And I don't want you to be reliant on the old. I want you to be reliant on the new because I love you. I have a purpose for you. And so sometimes demolition, remember when we found that Ellie had cancer, that one day changed everything. That was a demo day for us. And we are still in the reconstruction stage, but sometimes I feel like we're still in demolition phase. So what do you do? I think right now a lot of people feel like they're in the demo stage. And they're looking around to see everything being broken in their life. We pray. Get on our knees. And, and I mean like physically get on your knees. And bring it to the Lord. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, the first thing he does in his prayer is he recognizes that God is able. O Lord of heaven, the great and awesome God. 
And when you are in demo day, the first thing that you can do is recognize that God is able to reconstruct. God, you are awesome, meaning you are fearful, you are to be feared, and you are great. God, you are capable of building anything at any time. And then in The second thing he does is he confesses sins and he says this in chapter 1, verse 6. I confess the sins of the Israelites, including myself, my father's house, have committed against you. This is a posture shift. I am less, you are more. I want to be better at following you. It's recognizing where you stand with the Lord. First, God, you are great, you are awesome, you are able, but you know I am not able. I'm a sinner. And Forgive me. You are bigger than me. And then he leans on the promises of Scripture. Nehemiah 1 verse 8. Remember the instruction you gave Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. So he's like, this is why we're in this mess because we were unfaithful. But if you return to me and obey my commands, even if you exile people at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the lake I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. I'll gather them to the place I have chosen at the dwelling for my name that if you turn your ways, I will bring you back. I am confessing what we've done. I am leaning on the promises. Lord, I'm reading your scripture. I can't tell you this is my peace. This is my place of solace that when I am feeling like I'm in demo day, when things are falling around around me, I go in here and I lean on the promises that God has. And if you're in that position, go to Psalms and just lean on the promises. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Peace I will give you. Lean on the promises and remember them. So you pray to God, God, you are able, I am not able, and you've said you would do the things that are unimaginable. And then he asks, finally the ask comes in verse 11, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. For four months, Nehemiah was praying before he did anything. Because one, he didn't even know. I mean, he's not going to go to the king who could care less about Jerusalem being broken. He's got more important things. He doesn't care about the Israelites. So after he prays for four months, he's going, working with the king as a servant, and he's looking ill. And the king recognizes, and he's kind of like, what's up with you, Nehemiah? Why do you look ill? And this is what the king said. The king said to me, this is in chapter 2, verse 4 of Nehemiah, what is it you want? Then I prayed to God. He prays. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, Let him send me to the city of Judah, where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. And the king says yes. And Nehemiah waits for an opportunity. He doesn't approach the king. The king approaches him, gives him his opportunity. He waits for four months for this. And not only does the king say yes, he says, I will give you supplies and I will give you men. So Nehemiah goes back fully supplied and loaded, ready to rebuild. I think, church, we are ready to rebuild. Not our lives, per se. I'm talking about God's kingdom. Let's build God's kingdom. Let's do it. Instead of just trying to survive during the season, let's thrive in this season. Let's see where God has planted us. Let's pray the prayer that Nehemiah prayed, and let's rebuild. 
And God's kingdom is, is what he says. This is what Jesus says. My kingdom is not of this world. So we're not rebuilding physical walls. We're not gathering weapons and like guns and all those things. No, no, this is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Then he says this in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is. It's not like trumpet, like here comes the kingdom, God's kingdom, and it's a parade. No, 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 like an Aladdin and Prince Ali. No, no, that's, that's what they were expecting. But he says, look, here it is, or there. He says, but behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. We as believers recognize that God is our king and ruler over our lives and therefore we are establishing his kingdom on earth. So let's build it. And how do we do that? We're not building a structure. We're building a kingdom of people who are ruled by our king. I was, I go back and forth a lot with Ellie, who has been battling for three and a half years of cancer. And I'm always blown away by the ways that God has used Ellie to grow and bring people to Jesus. And for that, I'm grateful, but I always have a hard time with it because I get mad at God for using Ellie as a pawn in his rebuild plan. My daughter's suffering for his glory. I mean, you look at Jesus and his suffering was for his glory and our you know, benefit as salvation. And so we know that God's in would do that, but Jesus is God. You're like, well, you guys are together, even, but not me. I mean, come on, aren't we your children? Don't you love us? And so I'll go back and forth. Maybe many of you guys have had experiences that felt like it was a demo day, but you knew that it had helped advance God's kingdom and you struggle with that. And I think we should. But then I think if our life are to be kingdom builders, if that's the greatest thing that we could do, then what an honor it is to be used, no matter how hard, no matter how broken it is for the advancement of God's kingdom. Instead of viewing it as a punishment, I start viewing it as a privilege. And I know that sounds weird, but it helps me because if we are about building God's kingdom and this is building God's kingdom, then I need to be for it and I need to support it. And what I'll tell people is that our story, Ellie's story, is for God's glory. He's doing a new thing. There's no better, no greater honor than be a builder in God's kingdom. And so, Nehemiah comes back. And the question could be, where do we start? How do we do it? So the first thing Nehemiah does is he goes and he assesses the situation. He takes time to look at the places that are broken, what needs to be rebuilt and where. Because for them, they were probably used to living in brokenness. 
they probably adapted their lifestyle around what was broken. Uh, actually, maybe it's more convenient. I don't need to go through the gates anymore. I can just go outside my house and just go over the rubble and I'm outside and it's easier. They've gotten used to it. I, I think it's like when, you know, when someone comes, whether it's a relative or a friend comes to your house and they start noticing the things that are broken that you've kind of learned to live with. Maybe it's like a hinge on your cabinet or a place on your wall that hasn't been fully painted. And they're saying, well, what happened there? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you didn't finish painting that or the hinge. I, I remember visiting, you know, people and my grandmother once, I, I remember visiting with my friend and the baluster was wibbly, wobbly, and, and he was wobbling it. And I'm like, I don't worry, it's always been like that. And then he said, well, why don't we just fix it? And he goes, give me a screwdriver. And within two minutes, the thing was fixed. And I remember thinking, huh, for about 10 years, we just kind of lived with the wobbling, you know? And so we need other people in our lives to say, hey, listen, this is broken. <laughs> and you know what? Let's start rebuilding and start fixing it. So he does that and it takes time and patience. This is something that I struggle with. Uh, literally in like house projects, um, we had this big table that I made that kind of looked like a big box, it was like a coffin. And um, we were redoing like, you know, our uh, little patio area. And I was out there redoing it and I realized, you know, it's a little too big. And Kay actually really liked this table. It was very practical, like we ate there and all that stuff. And I wanted to put a little fireplace on it, like a little gas one. And so, so what I did without even thinking about it, Kay's doing the dishes, I take my circular saw and I just cut the thing in half. And then I did that and it was a bad cut. The thing falls apart and Kate comes out. It's like, what did you do? And I remember standing there with all the broken pieces in my saw and thinking, you know, I really didn't think this one through. I really messed up. And, and sometimes we just need to kind of take some time and assess the situation before we just dive in with our tools. And I think the same thing is when we're building God's kingdom, just look around. Who has God placed in your life? Where does God want you to grow? Where does God want? And then let's then let's worry about this and, and, and pray about it and bring it before the Lord and, and see how God will use us until we dive in. It's like, oh, you know what? This person needs Jesus. I'm just going to go over and I'm going to send them a text. You need Jesus. I mean, that probably isn't a wise thing. So that's what Nehemiah does. He goes in and he looks around and what needs to be built. And, and you may be thinking, I'm not a pastor. How can I be a builder? I'm not a builder. You want me to be a part of building God's kingdom? I mean, this wall became 1.5 miles around and 12 feet high. I mean, these are just ordinary people. They are not all wall builders by profession. And you're thinking, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a prophet. I just became a Christian where I'm, you know, like, you know, I, there's just so much to know. When you tell me to look up Nehemiah right now, it just took me five minutes and I'm just getting there while you're like 25 minutes into a sermon, you know. But God said, no, no, I will use anybody who will say yes to my calling, that you are a kingdom builder. And this is how I know. This is how Nehemiah does it. He says this in, in, in Nehemiah chapter 3. It gives a list of all these random people, their profession, and who participated in building the wall. And they built the section of the wall that was in front of their homes. God has planted you in a position 
to build where you're planted. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. You can't build a 1.5-mile, 12-foot-high wall by yourself. God's not calling you to build a big wall. He's calling you to build what he has placed in front of you. The people he's put in your life. Maybe the family members who he's put in your life. The situations, the circumstances You've been placed. God's saying, I don't want you to tackle the whole world or the whole country or the whole state or the whole town or the whole neighborhood. I just want you to tackle what's in front of you. And if we were all to do that, think about how big and how impactful we could be as builders of God's kingdom. And this is my challenge for all of us, and my challenge for me. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and 17, he says this, and he said to them, when he assessed the situation, this is like his motivational speech, you know, and like, you know, any, any sports movie, you know, they had the, uh, the coach kind of giving a charge to people. This is kind of this moment right here. And he says this, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And so he said, no, this isn't just me. This is what's happened. This is how God presented this situation. The king allowed me to come and supported me. I mean, this is God ordained. And this is what they replied. Let us start rebuilding. The Hebrew says this, let us rise up or let us stand up to begin the good work. Fireside and whoever is listening, let's rise up and begin to do the good work. In the middle of a time that seems like it is under construction or deconstruction or being demolished, Lord, we are called to be kingdom builders. So let's rise up. And many people are saying, well, this isn't the church. I'm listening to you through a video screen. This isn't the church where I'm listening you to my earbuds. This isn't the church because you know I'm doing a new thing. You, you, you didn't even know what church was, you know, and, and now we're not based on a city. God said, no, my kingdom is in the midst of you. It's not in the temple. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not in Israel. It's in all who profess Jesus as the son of God who died and rose for you. And if you believe that you are part of God's kingdom because you recognize he's the king, that that is a kingdom. It doesn't matter. It's not buildings. It's not land. It is people. And I'm doing a new thing. What if God is using this situation? He's demolished some of the old ways in order to do a new thing and a better thing, a more impactful thing. So let us rise up and be builders. That is the challenge. And it may look different, but that's okay. And I want to end reading Isaiah 43, where it says, see, I'm doing a new thing. And this has been close to my heart. And I, I, this is a word I feel like God has placed in my heart for any of you guys who feel like they're being in a long demo day, week, year, decade, whatever it may be. This is the word of the Lord. Isaiah writes this to the exiles coming back home before they were even exiled. He knew what they were going to feel and God put it on his heart to encourage his people. And so he writes this. I remember... Um, 
struggling with how to respond to a, a few people who were going through a lot. And I, and I emailed my professor, Jim Singleton. He's actually um, preached at Fireside. And he said, uh, read portions of Isaiah 43 for encouragement. And so that's kind of one of the first times I really looked into it. But I want to read the first 19 verses. And wherever you are, I just want you to receive this. I want you to receive this as you are being, you know, um, as you are being put through the fire right now, as you may look at the brokenness around the world that's overwhelming, the brokenness around your life that's overwhelming. I mean, oh, I'm feeling that. But we need to know that God's doing a new thing, that he is the master builder. And he wants to use us to help build his kingdom. So, verse 1. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, who, who, he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When I walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children far from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. I lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf, all nations gathered together and the peoples assembled. Which of them forbid this? Proclaim to us the former things. Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so others may hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servants who I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act who can reverse it. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake. I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives. For your sake, I'm going to uh, have a demolition day. For your sake. God, that doesn't make any sense. But I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your king. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lie there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert. I am doing a new thing. When Israel came back, they weren't their own country. They were still in a Persian rule, then Greek rule, and then Roman rule, and that's when Jesus came. And I think maybe he did that on purpose because I don't want you to go back 
on some of the securities that you had, I am doing a new thing. I am building my kingdom. So let's stand up and build. Lord, we say use us. Use us, Lord. We know that you are able, you are great, and you are awesome. We know that we are not. We know that you have promised us in the scriptures, Lord, the great things that you will do through us and in us. And we wait for opportunities, Lord, to be used by you. And though things look very differently and unsettled, we know that you are at work, that your kingdom is in the midst of us, that it doesn't lie in structures or things that we kind of relied on in the past, but it's a new thing, Lord. So grow it in the midst of adversity. Grow it in the midst of brokenness. And we want to be a part of building your kingdom. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Go and be the church.